Welcome to the Gut Doctor Podcast, where Dr. Neil Parikh describes GI disorders and answers common questions related to the GI tract. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with another episode of the Gut Doctor Podcast. Today, we are here with Dr. Michael DeSiena, and we will be having a very timely discussion on eosinophilic esophagitis as some new therapies are becoming available. Michael, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Preek, and for the opportunity to speak to the audience on this topic that I'm quite passionate about. So EOE, or eosinophilic esophagitis, is a fascinating condition and one that is relatively new compared to many of the other GI conditions that we treat. Can you start by telling our listeners what is EOE? Well, EOE is a chronic progressive inflammatory disease of the esophagus, which the exact pathogenesis is not 100% clear. But the lean theory is that antigens ingested from food or even possibly inhaled from the air trigger an immune response that ultimately results in the recruitment of eosinophils to the squamous epithelium of the esophagus, which is normally devoid of eosinophils. As a result of this immune response and eosinophils are settling in the mucosa of the esophagus, one may develop edema, rings, furrows, exudates, and in severe cases, fibrocytic disease or strictures. I see. So it's an immune response to an allergen, uh, which then triggers this cascade or, you know, in simple terms, an accumulation of inflammatory cells in the esophagus. And you, you just mentioned edema and ring. So what are the common symptoms of EOE? EOE typically presents with difficulty swallowing or dysphagia, but people may also have nonspecific symptoms such as upper abdominal pain, atypical chest pain, vomiting, and or heartburn. Okay. And so who's more at risk for EOE? When should we as medical providers be more aware of it? Uh, EOE is most commonly seen concomitantly with other allergic conditions, such as asthma or atopic dermatitis, as well as those with food or other environmental allergies. Medical providers should have EOE on the differential when a patient is noting trouble eating, swallowing, noting a sensation of food or pills intermittently feel as if they get stuck or move slowly down the esophagus, even possibly with chest pain, and particularly when a patient presents with a food impaction. But also keep EOE in the back of your mind when you have patients with heartburn, particularly refractory heartburn, non-cardiac chest pain, and unexplained vomiting. Uh, that's interesting. You know, yeah, we always think of EOE when we see, you know, the young male patient with a food impaction, but it's good to know that refractory heartburn and non-cardiac chest pain, even unexplained vomiting can all be EOE. So if you suspect EOE, what is the next step to make the diagnosis? Well, endoscopy with biopsies of the esophagus is the gold standard of diagnosis. And if EOE is on your differential, it's generally recommended that you take two to four biopsies from both the proximal and distal esophagus to optimize sensitivity. All right. So we've done the endoscopy, we've taken the biopsies, we've diagnosed EOE. Before we get into the pharmaceutical options, are there dietary changes that one can make? Specifically, can you comment on the EOE elimination diets? Sure. Uh, Dietary elimination can be used as a primary approach or a secondary option if pharmacological treatments fail. Such diets are associated with resolution of symptoms, esophageal eosinophilia, and in some cases can even reduce the esophageal subepithelial fibrosis. Uh, The options are the empiric elimination diet, a testing-directed diet, or an elemental diet. Elimination diets are based on the concept that avoidance of those foods that most commonly cause immediate hypersensitivity in a population can also resolve EOE. And the most common triggers in EOE in the United States seem to be milk, wheat, egg, soy, legumes, fish, shellfish, and peanuts and tree nuts. 
Wow. Okay. So that's a very extensive list of triggers to eliminate. Um, I, I'm going to make a point here. So for our listeners, it's important to note that these elimination diets may be the most effective when done in coordination with an allergist, dietitian, and gastroenterologist. Um, so Mike, if the uh, dietary changes do not work, what has been the mainstay of pharmacologic therapy thus far for EOE? Well, studies have shown that patients who simply utilize acid suppression with a proton pump inhibitor will have clinical response over 50% of the time, as well as histological remission about 50% of the time. Glucocorticoids such as fluticasone and budesonide may also be used with good effects, but the symptoms and histological changes often recur when glucocorticoids are discontinued. Okay, so I, I will say clinically, I have found success with both proton pump inhibitors and glucocorticoids, but interestingly, they are both considered off-label by the FDA. Why don't you tell us the exciting news of the first ever FDA-approved option for eosinophilic esophagitis? Yes, it's an exciting time in the EOE world with the arrival of the new treatment option for patients. And as you said, the first ever FDA-approved option for EOE, dupiliumab or dupixin, has been approved for the treatment of EOE in adults, as well as in pediatric patients who are 12 years of age and older and who weigh at least 88 pounds or 40 kilograms. Great. So how does this medication work? How is it administered? And who are you considering it for? So dupiliumab is an interleukin-4 receptor alpha antagonist, as well as inhibits signaling of IL-13, which are important players in the generation of inflammation mediated by the Th2 pathway, similar to asthma and atopic dermatitis. It is administered weekly as a subcutaneous injection, and we are currently utilizing it in patients who do not respond to maintained therapies and who can consider using in patients who have multiple atopic conditions to minimize a patient's medication burden. It's sort of two birds with one stone approach. I see. So for our non-medical listeners, this new agent in simple terms attempts to block the inflammation caused by an allergic event. Remember, Michael had discussed that cascade early on in the podcast. This agent blocks that cascade. Uh, can you comment, Michael, on some future therapies that are in the various phases of research? There's also an IL-5 as well as an IL-13 biologic that are currently in trials, in addition to a prostaglandin D2 receptor antagonist. We eagerly await the results in hopes that we have more options for our patients in the future. Looks like in the future, we may be able to tackle EOE similarly to how we tackle inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, Michael, this has been great. Eosinophilic esophagitis is a clearly an exciting frontier, and I appreciate the background and future direction you just provided for our audience. To all our listeners, thank you as always, and please continue to subscribe, rate, and review the Gut Doctor podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gut Doctor podcast. For additional information about today's topic, please visit ConnecticutGI.org. Your feedback is important to us, so please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Stay tuned for more episodes of The Gut Doctor, and if you think you may need to see a gastroenterologist, just trust your gut.